You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. I thought you knew. We're talking about and, 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 and exploring the, the uh, subject, what is God, what is God like? Amen. And it's, it's been our pleasure to just in the last couple of weeks kind of uh, explore that subject from the passage in Isaiah chapter 40. And I can tell you that personally the Lord has been working me over with the truth of who he is. Amen. Um, my wife earlier this week as I was in a discussion with her and I, I believe I was trying to throw probably my third or fourth pity party of the week. And uh, I invited her to this one. And uh, she, she did what, what wives do, what good wives do, what believers do. She used her pastor's words against him. <laughs> Didn't you just remind all of us that we have to take our eyes off of our circumstances and put them on our God? And I said to her, get, get, get out of my face. I didn't ask you anything about God or sermons or Sunday. It's Wednesday and I'm upset about something and I just want to vent. It's just like, sorry. It's like, you, you, you know, I want to remind you what you reminded us. Remind yourself. And so, so again, this, this subject is very, very practical. Amen. And as we explore all of the attributes of God and we discover what God is like in terms of his greatness and in terms of his his goodness and what he is intrinsically, we're going to we're going to find that we're not going to be able to have as many pity parties as we would like. So just get ready to have your day disrupted. Get ready to be reminded about the greatness and goodness and mercy and love of our God, uh, the sovereignty of our God. One of the things that, 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 that we mentioned last week as we showed that, that presentation, that nature presentation, and we, and we kind of really explored that. The, the, one of the things that I told you, the first thing I told you of the four things I'm going to tell you is we discussed his incomprehensibility. Incomprehensibility beyond you. God is creator. God is eternal. Have you not known? Have you not heard? It says in verse 28 that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. Again, just two, one attribute that that's mentioned there. And, and there's, and there's one role. It's his role as creator, but his attribute as being eternal. The fact that God is eternal, the fact that God is creator. And we, and we kind of looked at those reminded of that, uh, with those slides about what he's created. And our brother Robert sang that song, indescribable, uncontainable. You put place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing. God. And when you and I begin to understand how amazing God is, it has to affect our what? Our worship more than anything. When you behold the greatness of God, then you will see everything else in life in its proper perspective. Amen. When we began to behold him and we began to look and, and to understand that there is an element of God or, or, or attributes of God that we will never ever, ever fully grasp. Amen. 
We do not know his qualities or nature completely or exhaustively. We know only what God has revealed about himself and that we, what we do know, we don't totally understand or totally know comprehensively. In short, there will always be an element of mystery about God. Amen. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which have been revealed belong to us and our children forever that we might do all the works of this law. Amen. It's like just just understand that I don't care how much time you spend trying to figure God out. You just have to stop and rest in the fact that he is incomprehensible beyond you. I should have gotten a bigger amen than what I just received saying what I just said. Amen. But maybe that doesn't do it for you. Maybe you need a little bit more. Maybe you need to understand not just his incomprehensibility beyond you. You need to understand his independence from you. Amen. His independence from you. This is where God is. I would describe him as frustrating. Amen. Because when you start talking about God being independent from you, you're understanding and I'm understanding and appreciating God is not like us at all. Amen. And while that should provide you and should provide me with great comfort that we have a God that's not like us many times. And I would even dare say most times understanding that God is independent from us doesn't provide us with comfort. It provides us with frustration. Because if he was more like me, then I could understand how he gets down and how he moves and what he does. That's why you and I, we often pray things like if you or, or we don't really say it like this, but we, we really believe if we could just take control of the universe. Just give me five good minutes as God. I fixed this whole thing up. Everything that was on my list, I'd get around to some climate change and some other stuff, but I have some real specific stuff I need to get done for me and mine. And that's what I would want to do. And again, if you think like that and you think that God would think like you, you will be terribly frustrated because he is independent. Y'all are not with me today. He is independent from you. That's why Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways as high as the heaven is above the earth, or my thoughts above your thoughts, and my ways above your ways. Psalms 147 says, praise ye the Lord, for it is good to sing praises unto our God. It's pleasant, and praise is, is good. The Lord hath built up Jerusalem. He gathered together the outcast of Israel. He healeth the broken in heart. He bindeth up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. You better understand that he is independent from you. And if he's independent from you, that means that the things that he does, you probably are not going to understand. But instead of resting in that, many times we are frustrated by that. You think about <laughs> you think about Genesis chapter 15. You think about what Abraham must have been going through and dealing with when he has been promised in Genesis chapter 12 and 13 when he first meets 
God and, and God encourages him. And, and he's told him, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And the scripture says this happened when Abraham was 75 years old. And after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, as respectfully, I believe, as he could, O oh, oh, sovereign Lord, what, what, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who inherited my estate is Eliasker of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. I know what you said. You keep talking about this father of many nations and sand on the seashore and stars in the sky. But we got to get started. And I'm 75 as it is. And God says, yep, yep, uh, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, look at the heavens and the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, so shall your offspring, offspring be. And then Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust in you. Amen. But now Abraham is 99 years old at the end of chapter 15 and then it's in what well, chapter 17 excuse me verse 1 Abraham's 99 years old and God appears to him and he says I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers you, oh you're talking to me 24 years ago you were saying the same thing and I still I don't have a son I don't, I, don't, I don't have anybody. And, and, and he says, I will make you very fruitful, and I'll, I'll do all of these things for you. And, 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 and Abraham just says to God, because he, he had already, he and Sarah had already plotted. He already had Ishmael. Amen? And, and many times when you're waiting for God, if you make your move uh, and you don't wait for God, you'll have to deal with the Ishmaels in your life. That's, another, that's a whole other sermon. Amen? When you, when you plot and conspire and you don't wait for God's timing, sometimes you'll get an Ishmael in your house that God can still use and bless, but that's not what God had for you. You can't make an Ishmael while God is saying, I need you to wait till I make you an Isaac. Amen? And he just said, oh, that, that Ishmael would live under your blessing. He said, yeah, I got Ishmael, but that's not who I'm talking about. You're going to have a son with Sarah, and she's 90 years old, and I know all of that. So, again, if you are not understanding that God does things differently than you, when you hear God's word and you see this 25-year delay, you will be saying to yourself, what is God what? doing. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you see me. I don't see you living up to your promise. And, and God would say to you, I need you to be patient. You don't know what I'm doing because I am independent from you. But I still need you to trust me. I still need you to have that same posture that in chapter 15 when you said, and Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. I need you to have that same belief, that same posture, that same walk of faith. I need you to hang with me because I am independent from you. And I do things you can't do, can't understand, and can't execute, but I can because I am. All-powerful, untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim. You are amazing, God. 
Abraham, did you ever think that when I declared that you would be the father of many nations, that I might want to take 25 years to prepare you for the job so that you could actually be the father of many nations? Sometimes God's delay is preparation for you. And he, he made King David, he, he gave him the throne or told him he would take the throne. And I think it was 11 years between when he anointed him and when he appointed him. Come on, somebody. And between the, anoint, the anointing and the appointing, God prepares you for what he has prepared for you. Amen. So we got to trust him. He is independent from us. And I love the fact that it says here in, 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 in verse 28 that he, he fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He fainteth not, neither is, is weary. That, that's reminding me, come on, somebody, that's going right to get us right to Psalms 121. Amen. When it says, I will look to the hills from whence cometh my help, I, my help coming from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Just so you just thought that he, he might just be taking a deep nap. He said he doesn't even take any quick naps. He doesn't take those library naps. He doesn't take naps at the stoplight where it's like, let me just close my eyes for 15 seconds. He neither slumbers or sleeps. He's always on the job. The Lord is my keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon my right hand. And so Isaiah affirms that he neither slumbers or sleeps while he still encourages us as people when he he lets us know he's independent from us. He said, even those youths will be faint and will, and, and will grow weary. Even the young people. But he affirmed already, even though the young people will get sleepy, they will get weary. I won't because the keeper of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Always. Always on the job. Always making a way out of no way. Always making the crooked places straight. Always making the rough places smooth. That's just how I get down. I am the deliverer of Israel. I'm the healer of Israel. I'm the watcher over Israel. I'm El Rohi, the God that sees you. All of those things and all of those titles that God has in the, in the Old Testament usually come because they didn't have a word to describe them before. They saw what he did. And they say, yeah, yeah, you Jehovah Nisi, you my banner, because I've seen how you've been the banner to lift up a standard. You're Jehovah the, uh, uh, Rapha, my healer. After I've seen you turn those bitter waters sweet, I know you're the healer. And he is independent from you. And if that's not enough to get you excited, what about... The next three verses that affirm not just his independence from you, but his inclusion of you. <laughs> now, it's one thing to be incomprehensible. It's one thing to be independent. And you could you could think that God would be distant and unconcerned and, 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 and not see you and not care. But somehow, with all of his power, with all of the attributes that he has, he focuses his attention on raggedy you. His inclusion of you, he has not forgotten you. He cares about meeting your needs. Cast all your cares upon him for he. 
I don't know why. That's what Andre Crouch says. Jesus loves me. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad. So glad he did. Why did he include you? Why does he care about you? Why does he care about me in and of ourselves that we have no worth that 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 he should that he should care about us, but he cares about us because he created us and he wants to be in relationship with us. And so when you see he giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Where does he go get the strength from? Does he run out and get it? No, he is it. He is strength and he is power and he is love and he is peace and he is joy and he doesn't have to run out and get it. He just needs to share it with you. And he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even though the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Why does he care about us? I don't know, but I can affirm if you look at this passage that it's not just his independence from you or his incomprehensibility beyond you. It is, it is his inclusion of you. It's his inclusion of you. Philippians 4, 13 says what? <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, his inclusion of you. In 1 Kings chapter 19, after Elijah had the great showdown on the mount ground with the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, Jezebel ran him out of there. She said, May my life be like one of the prophets that you killed if I don't kill you by this, by this time tomorrow. Pew. Elijah headed out of there, discouraged, and got into the desert. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, the scripture says in verse 5 of, of 1 Kings 19, and an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went into the strength of that meat 40 days and 40 nights unto the mount of God. God had him, he ran into the desert, God took him all the way down, 200 miles away. Well, he, he drove him down there 40 days, 40 nights, he kept him alive so that he could ask him, what are you doing here? I got you. And even though you think you are alone, I've got 7,000 that have never bowed a knee to Baal. You are not alone. I'm going to take care of this and appoint Elihu, uh, uh, Elihu to be king, and I'm going to give you Elisha to be the prophet in your room, all of these things. But God met him where he was, discouraged and in the desert, because he includes, he's including you in what he's doing. He says, I see you, and I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to give you the water that you need and the food that you need and the strength that you need to come down to my holy mountain so I can ask you, what are you doing here, and send you back with instructions 
instructions on how to take care of the business that you were already taken care of after you just had the great high moment experience. Many times that's when discouragement happens. Many times that's when the enemy attacks after you've had a high moment experience in God and you've had a mountaintop experience and that's when the, the enemy wants you to have a desert experience and get discouraged and forget who you are and forget who God has made you to be. He, want, he wants you to forget that not only is he independent from you, he wants you to forget that he is inclusive of you. You forget sometimes that God gives you what I would describe as a second wind. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find what? Rest unto your soul. You might forget that God is a God that told uh, uh, the apostle Paul, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmity and reproaches, in necessities and persecutions, in distresses for for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, therefore I am strong. He gives strength to the weary and to those that need strength. He increases, those that need might, excuse me, he increases strength. I love the fact that it starts to drill down where you say, yeah, I can feel him now because he's, he's not only beyond me, but he's still thinking of me. Why? I don't know. There's no good reason. Except that his love is so amazing. And I'll never get enough, never get enough, never get enough of your love. Your love is so amazing. It's so good. Mm. It's so good. Amen. His inclusion of you. And then this last thing that I want to focus on, because it's here in the text, it's, it's his incomprehensibility beyond you, his independence from you, his inclusion of you, but now it's his influence on you. All the way down to your day-to-day -day life, all the way down to what you need in tough circumstances, all the day, all the way down to answering the question that he is rebutting the question that was asked hypothetically of the of the people of Jacob and Israel in 27 and it says why saith O Lord and speaketh O Israel why do you say my way is hid from the Lord and my judgment is passed over from my God why are you saying that God doesn't see you why do you why are you so down in the dumps that you are uh making an assessment that's simply not true. He does see you. He does care about you. He does include you. He does give strength. And we see that. And that's why he says, if you're weary, I'll help you run. And if you're, you need to walk, I'll help you not to faint. And you need to soar. And actually, those three things help us in the very three distinct areas that we engage, amen, in terms of the arenas of battle, in terms of our spiritual walk and relationship. There's, a, there's an arena of the 
flesh, there's the arena of the world, and there's an arena where we fight, arena where we fight the forces of darkness, amen? And all three of those arenas, God has already established for us, and I'll remind you about this, what our, our response should be in these different arenas. And here in Isaiah chapter 40, God very eloquently shows us and gives us encouragement around that response. You said, I don't know what you're talking about, so let me explain. There is an arena, come on somebody, of the flesh where we do battle. That arena of the flesh is what I describe as the enemy and enter me. Amen. The Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 6. He talks about this war that's going on inside of himself when he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, that is the thing that I do. Amen. I'm always going back and forth because you and I, as natural people, we are always fighting against what's spiritual. Amen. God has given us his spirit. He's leading us and guiding us if we listen to him, if we submit to him. But there's always that little voice inside of you that wants to alter or at the very least tweak what God has said. And you want to do it your way and I want to do it my way. We talked about this yesterday at men's Bible study. That's always, we love to live in what we would describe as the gray areas. It's clear to God. He says, this is what I want you to do. And he reveals his truth to you. And like he says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that have been revealed belong to us and our children that we might do all of the works of this law. But we don't want to do everything God has revealed. And so we fight and we wrestle against what God has said, and we are wrestle in, at that arena of the flesh. I want you to think of it this way. Gladys Knight had a beautiful song. said, if anyone should ever write my life story, for whatever reason, there might be. You'll be there in all the pain and glory because you're the best thing that ever happened to me. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, and I can from right here because there's a mirror right here I want you to look in the mirror when you get home and I want you to say to yourself if anyone should ever write my life story for whatever reason there might be you'll be there in all the pain and glory because you're the worst thing right there you're the worst thing that has ever happened to me Right there. You're the worst thing. You might think it's somebody else that did something to you. What other people have done to you does not even compare to what you do to yourself. You are literally the worst thing that has ever happened to you. And you got to get yourself away from yourself as soon as possible. If you want to live for Jesus Christ, you got to get, you're the worst thing. Jesus is the best thing yeah, you know what? We ain't even going to worry about that. Jesus is the best thing. I don't know what's going on with these mics. Test, test. test. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to you, but you're the worst thing that ever happened to you. And that's why in the arena of the flesh, you need to flee. You got to flee. That's what 2 Timothy 2 and 22 says. Flee awful youthful lust and follow after righteousness, faith, a love and peace along with them that call on the Lord out of a, a out of a sound mind. So again, your your what God has told us to do in the arena of the flesh is to simply flee. 
You can't negotiate with your flesh. You can't train your flesh. You cannot control your All you can do is kill your flesh. But we always want to keep flesh around. We always want to keep just a little bit of us. We got a lot of Jesus. Give me a little more Jesus. But I still want to keep a little bit, little bit more of myself. And if we do that, we compromise. And we'll understand in time and experience and the knots that come on our heads and the scars that we have that partial obedience is not good for anything. Partial obedience is no obedience at all. And here's the thing that, that'll kill you and kill me. We deceive ourselves in believing that we can pick something less than what God has desired for us and live with the consequences. We think we can. We game it out. We say, yeah, if I just do enough of this, I think that'll be, that'll, that'll do it. God may not be completely pleased, but I'll be pleased. It'll still work out. But you can't control consequences. All you control are choices. And that's the hard thing that we try to tell young people about, amen. But even as older folks, that's something that we're still wrestling with. We're always trying to solve for a situation where God gets what he wants, but we get to get what we want too. And there's no such thing. You're trying to negotiate with your flesh. You're trying to negotiate and say, I need to keep a little bit of me, but still add a little bit more Jesus. He said, I need sold out saints, not compromised saints. I need them to be sold out completely and under the control and the submission of the Holy Spirit. That is a hard thing to do. And the only way we're able to do that is if we flee. That's why Isaiah says, I can help you so that you'll run. Come on, somebody and not be weary because you need to run. And who do you need to run from? Yourself. And you need all the help you can get to get away from you because you are literally the worst thing that has ever happened to you. And that's why God says, I'll help you run and not be weary. And then when you talk about the arena of the world, the scripture says in 1 John uh, 5, and for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. What? Even our faith. So in the arena of the flesh, he says to flee in the arena of the world, he says, use your faith. And then what would be the encouragement around using your faith? It would be this in Ephesians four, it would say, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation for which you are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering and forbearing one another in love. He says, I need you to walk by faith. Need you to run and not be weary. He'll help you do that. I will help you to walk and not faint. You need to learn how to walk because you have to do battle in the arena of the world. And you need to walk by faith, not by sight. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, faith is the substance of things, hope for the evidence of things not seen. He's saying, I need you to walk by faith and not by sight, and I will help you to walk and not faint. I will help you to run and not be weary because you've got some arenas that you need to fight in. And last but not least, there's the arena of the flesh. There's the arena of the world. There's the arena of the kingdom of darkness and the enemy himself and in that arena the answer is not to flee the answer is not faith the answer is to fight he says you got to engage there's, there's no hiding here 
be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, roameth about seeking whom he may devour. That's why he has given us the armor of God. And he says, be strong and, and mighty and put on the armor of God that you may be able to resist the, 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 the wiles of the devil. And he says, and put on the whole armor. And he says, warfare, prayer and warfare, praise. He has prepared us to fight and he has given us the, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, loins girded about with truth, feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and he says I need you to stand I need you to stand flat-footed and I need you to fight in this arena and God has given us what we need amen but what you need more than anything to, to, to really fight that Isaiah is telling he says I'll help you to soar on wings like an eagle why do you need to soar because you need to change your perspective he said, if you're going to fight the enemy, you got to see the enemy like I see the enemy. The enemy, when you look at him in your circumstances, he looks, he looks very menacing and, and he, he looks like he, he's going to kill you and that he has all the power, but he does not. He says, I need you to take it up above the clouds of your circumstances. And when you have circumstances, that's like being on a cloudy day when the sun is not out. It changes the way you think about the whole day, how you view it, how you process it. But if you could just get up above the clouds, if you could just get back up above the clouds, you'll see that the sun is shining and always has been shining. And God says, I need you to get up and soar like on wings like an eagle so you can see me. You can see me and you can see how I see your circumstances and what looked like a mountain to you before now looks like a molehill because you've got the right perspective above the clouds so you can see the sun and then you can know that God sees you. Because without that, you're likely... When you face tough, tough circumstances to play the blame game, where you look at what is happening in your life and you start to pull other people in and say, it's your fault that I'm dealing with this. Satan loves the blame game. Or you can play the shame game. Things have happened in my life and I'm not fit for ministry. I'm not fit to do anything. So I'm not just going, I'm not trying to pull in anybody. I'm just... I'm just going to pull back. I'm just going to pull back. I'm just, I'm not going to do what I know God wants me to do because I'm, I'm ashamed of some of the things that I've done. I'm not really walking in his forgiveness. I'm not really realizing that I'm clothed in his righteousness and covered by his blood. Amen. And I'm on the sideline. And then maybe it's not the blame game or the shame game. Maybe it's the lame game. The lame game is is that you're so wounded that you, you're pulling yourself completely out. You don't pull in, you don't pull back, you pull out. God wants you to play a different game. And it's called the frame game. That's when you frame your circumstances in a different, from a different perspective and you see things like God sees things and you know that you have resources and you know that he is pulling for you. You know that he sees you, he loves you, and that everything he is... 
he is able to give you in a in a situation where you may need to practice some patience like Abraham that it may not always click over for you right when you want to you might have to wait 25 years to see what God has promised you you might have to be in Egypt for 430 years before you see what God has promised you you might have to wait you might get your head chopped off like John the Baptist and be declared the greatest prophet that was ever born of of, of a human there may be some situations you'll have to process differently as you understand his incomprehensibility beyond you his independence from you his inclusion of you and his influence on you and if you do that you will not pull in you will not pull out you will not pull back beloved you'll pull through you'll pull through 